So if I were to take a a survey this morning and ask each one of you here, what to you would be one of the most mysterious things about the Christian life? What would be the real mystery? Would, how, would you, how would you respond? Somebody might say, well, um, the virgin birth. Boy, that's a mystery. I, I, I don't understand that. Or uh, you might say, uh, well, where did Cain get his wife? That's a mystery. I, we can't figure that. Or uh, how in the world does an axe head float? That's a, that's, a, that's a mystery. Or maybe it's the miracles in the Bible. Or uh, maybe it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the real mystery. I think if we, we really got honest, one of the things that a lot of us would say, one of the mysteries of the Christian faith is, how do I discover God's will for my life? I mean, how do I know what God wants from me? How, uh, where can I find his will? How is he, he going to reveal it to me? And we have this idea that that's a real mystery. And it's one of the hard things about the Christian life is somehow I've got to figure out what God's will is for my life. And uh, so we're searching, we're seeking, we're struggling to try to find God's will for our life. And it's a mystery. How can we ever find that? At least that's what we think, that it really is something that's going to be very difficult to, to discover. Back in uh, 1990, <clears throat> I was working at Lifeway Christian Resources as an editor in the Youth Sunday School area. Back when I started, it was called the Baptist Sunday School Board, and times change, names change, and all that kind of thing. One of the things that happens when you work at uh, a publishing house is that as an editor, you often get copies of material that are being published by the publishing house. And so a guy came with a big stack of study books, and he gave one to me and said, here's the latest thing, and, and, and I pitched it over on a shelf on the, on, in the window ledge. And for months, I didn't look at it. didn't even pay attention to it. Then one day, I, I picked it up, and I began looking at it, and I thought, Wow. This is good stuff. It was called Experiencing God. Discovering and know, or uh, discovering, how does it go? What's the second? Oh, knowing and doing the will of God. Exactly. This is a life-changing study. Now, it's been out 30 years. My inclination is that a lot of you never got to study this. How many of you, I know some of you studied it. How many of you have never studied Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? It's kind of what I thought, okay? Well, folks, we're going to study this for the next seven weeks. We're going to find out how do you know God's will. Because, you see, I think the real key is that it's not as difficult as we think it is to know what God's will is for our life. And so we're going to study the, the biblical truths and principles that are found in that book that will really help us to know God's will for our life. And so as we do that, I think the very first thing we need to do is we need to take a look at the wrong approach to take. If we're going to learn God's will, there is a right approach, but there's also a wrong approach. <clears throat> Let me ask this question. What would be easier to do? Let's say that you need to get to somebody's house. And you've never been to that house before. And so you ask somebody and 
Your, your choice would be, first of all, that somebody gives you a very detailed description of how to get there. Yeah, just go down this road a, a piece and you'll see a red mailbox. And turn left at the red mailbox and go for maybe a mile or two and you'll see a broken down fence. And so take the second road after the break in the fence and follow it until you see a tree that looks like a question mark. And at that point, turn left and kind of go around this road, uh, around this hill. And when the pavement ends, take the second driveway after the pavement end. It's one of the three pink houses that are on that road. That would be one approach to getting somewhere, okay? Or... What if that person says, look, I'll come to town and I'll pick you up and I'll drive you to my house. Which would be easier? Well, as we look at, at discovering God's will for our life, um, what we often do is we take the wrong approach. We're always asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? And <coughs> what we're saying is, God, I need all the details spelled out so that I'll know when I get there and how it's going to turn out. You see, the trouble is we want a detailed roadmap of God's will so that we can determine whether we're going to do it or not. We want to know how it's going to be before we jump into it. Well, instead, a better approach ought to be this. God, just lead me one step at a time. Instead of giving me all these steps, Just give me one step at a time. And the Bible is very clear that God will lead us, but he'll lead us one step at a time. He's he's not going to give all these details. It's just one step at a time. In fact, um, discovering God's will is really as simple as developing a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, it's kind of like getting in the car with Jesus and he drives rather than us trying to figure it out all ourselves. Uh, What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'll give you a road map. He didn't say, I'll tell you the directions that you need to go. No, what did he say? He said, I am the way. And so uh, the real approach to finding God's will is to daily surrender to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and allow him to be the way. And we simply walk with him each step of the way, and and God's will will be revealed to us. Friends, that brings real freedom. When when I don't have to worry about, am I following the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Do I need to go back to that red mailbox and start all over again? You see, when we're walking with Jesus in intimate, personal relationship, it's just like he's driving. And the only thing I need to know when Jesus is driving is, tell me when you're going to turn left and I'll lean that way. Tell me when you're going to go right and I'll lean that way. That's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it helps us discover the will of God. Uh, you see this in Scripture. It's illustrated, for, for instance, in the life of Abram. And you know that later on God changed Abram's name to Abraham. L- listen to Genesis chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. I think it's here on the screen as well. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, 
and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai and nephew Lot and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. So what did God reveal to Abram about his will for Abram's future? I mean, how much detail is there? Not much. Not much. You know, what does he say? Leave. Go to a land I'm going to show you. There's not a lot of detail there. There's just, here's the next step. Not a lot of details. But as you read the story, look what it says. It says, Abraham obeyed, or Abram obeyed. It says he departed and he headed to the land of Canaan. And as you read the account of Abraham, as he, through his whole life, it's just one step after another step after another step as God reveals and God leads. And the only time things really got dicey was when Abraham decided that he had a better idea about how to do things. Like when he, he pawned off his wife as his sister to save his own neck. Or uh, when he thought that he could speed up God's plan by having a child with uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. Other than that, God's led him step by step in all of the ways in which he was going. And Abraham is just one of numerous examples in Scripture of people who found and followed the will of God. And most of the time, the majority of the time, it wasn't in great detail. It was just take that first step and, 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 and follow me. So the wrong approach is to expect God to spell it out in great detail in advance. But there's also a wrong question to ask. There's a wrong question to ask. That's point number two there in your outline. Uh, You've heard the saying, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. Exactly. Uh, That's true because not every question is a legitimate question. And, And if you can't find the answer, it might be that you're asking the wrong question. And that applies to questions about, um, you know, how do we find God's will in our life? Often people will say, and I hear this a lot, what is God's will for my life? That's the wrong question. The better question and the right question is, what is God's will? Do you see the difference there? What is God's will for my life versus what is God's will? You see, it needs to be centered in God and not in me. And and so the the truth is, once I know what God's will is, then I can adjust my life to what he's doing, and then his will becomes my will, the will for my life. Now, if you're like me, I like to have a concrete example. I like to have a model to follow. And in Jesus Christ, we have... Third point there, the right model to follow. The right model to follow. I mean, during his 33 years of of life on this earth, Jesus fulfilled every assignment that God gave him. Uh, he, He never failed to do the will of his Father. Well, how did Jesus come to know and to do God's will? What did he do to discover God's will? 
Uh, what was his pattern and that can serve us as a model of how do you find God's will and, and follow God's will? Look in John chapter 5 and verse 17 and following. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. So I want you to look at, at Jesus' model there and listen to what he said. First of all, he said that the father is always at work. We just sang about that in Waymaker. God is always at work. And so Jesus says that. The Father is always at work. But second thing he says, now the Father has me working. I'm joining him in that work. And I'm working alongside the Father. Uh, Jesus went on and he says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I don't just get up one morning and decide, okay, I think I'm going to do this for God. Jesus never did that. He always looked to see what the Father was doing. That's that, that fourth point there. Or if, yeah, I watch to see what the Father is doing. And then Jesus says, I do what I see the Father is already doing. Jesus said, I just look and see what the Father is doing. And then I join him in what he's doing. And then he makes this affirmation. He says, the Father loves me and shows me everything that he himself is doing. <clears throat> so it's that love relationship. As we get into a deeper, deeper relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we come to understand more and more what God is doing and what he would have us to join him in, in doing. Um, so if we want to, um, to discover God's will and we want to do God's will, here's the key. And, and it really probably is the key of this whole study. And that is we need to watch to see where God is working and join him. Watch to see where God is working and join him. Uh, because the truth is that God is at work all around us. He's working all around us. And um, you, you may not recognize his work in your life. Um, and tragically, maybe that's true. Most of us, boy, I'd love to have a deeper relationship with, with God. And I'd like to really be used of him. But we just simply have difficulty recognizing where God is and, and what he's doing. We don't know how to recognize when God shows up. <clears throat> That's kind of the goal in this whole sermon series is to teach us how do I recognize where God is at work and then how do I join him in, in what he's doing. Uh, and so let me just kind of implore you. Don't miss any of the, these series, of these sermons in this series because these things kind of build on one another, okay? And if you do miss, then you can catch this, this service on YouTube. You can find the, the sermon there. If you, let me just tell you how to find that, okay? It's bit, bit, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash and then capital C, capital B, capital C, capital Elko, E, you know, capital E, L-K-O capital Y-O-U, capital T-U-B-E. So it's C-B, it's a bit dot Lee slash
capital CBC, Elko, YouTube. Okay? All right. There it is, right there. Boy. Yes. <laughs> All right. But that's, that'll give you the, the service for every Sunday that you miss. But pl- please plug in and get these messages because they all fit together. And, and you want to be where you, you're going to be so much better off at the end of this than you are right now. Because you're going to know, man, it's not a mystery anymore. I can find God's will. I can get involved with God in, in, in what he's doing. So we're going to learn how does God speak to us? To reveal his will. And, and then how do we make the adjustment in our life to join him in, in what he's doing? And um, because what we're doing is we want to work to develop a love relationship with God. Where just like Jesus, God reveals what he's doing. And Jesus just joined him in doing that. Um, we want to learn how to discover and how to do God's will. <clears throat> like maybe we've never experienced before. And why do we want to do that? Well, we want to do that because we want to be the kind of servant that God has called us to be. Uh, You know, one of the pictures in Scripture is that of we are servants of God. Well, we ought to be the very best servant that we possibly can be. So let's talk about the right approach to servanthood. And again, Jesus is our model of servanthood. Matthew chapter 20. Look at this discussion. Uh, The disciples had been arguing among themselves who's the greatest and so on and so forth. And now Jesus is going to say, but wait a minute, let's talk about what real greatness is. And and it's in the form of servanthood. Matthew 20 beginning at verse 25. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus said, I came to serve. And then he also said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So we're to be servants. Now, let's ask the question, how do you define what a servant is? Um, how do you define that? And we, you know, maybe you would say, well, a servant is a person who goes to his or her master and simply says, Master, what is it you want me to do? And when they learn what the master wants, then they just go out and they do it alone. That's not a biblical picture of servanthood. That's that's a secular, that's our culture kind of idea of a servant is somebody who just goes out and does whatever the the boss says and you you just kind of do it by yourself. The real biblical concept of servanthood more closely resembles a word picture that we find in the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Listen to this. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah and he said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? 
As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. This is the biblical concept of, of, of a servant. Um, it, it's this idea of clay that is molded by a potter. And there are two things that are required of the clay. First of all, they have to be responsive to the molding of the potter. They have to be responsive to, to the, the shaping and the molding that's there. And then second, that clay has to stay in the potter's hands. Now, now think about this. When the potter is through with the molding, that potter can do whatever he chooses to do with that clay. In this case, it didn't turn out the way he wanted it. So what does he do? He crushes it all back down into a lump and starts it all over. So the clay does nothing on its own, right? It just sits there on the wheel and responds to the touch, the pressure of, of the potter. Folks, as servants of God, you and I don't have the ability to do anything. But when we're in God's hands, God can do anything he wants to do through us as long as we're moldable and we remain in the hands of God. Uh, and, and so the master then can use us as his servants any way he chooses. It's, it's his choice. Remember Jesus said this, he said, for, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Exactly. But when God works through us, we're unlimited as he is unlimited in what he can do through us. Um, and, and I would urge all of us to change our understanding of what it means to be a servant of God. It's not getting our orders and then marching out and kind of doing something on our own. Instead, it's relating to God and responding to him and adjusting our life to him so that he might do us uh, through us what he wants to do through us. Um, somehow we've gotten this idea that we're to do things for God. Uh, the word do probably is the worst word that could be plugged into the Christian life. We, we think that there's something we need to do for salvation. And unfortunately, after we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we still think we need to do things. We have this idea that God says, don't just stand there, do something. But oftentimes God is saying, don't do something, just stand there. And listen to me. And follow my leading, follow my prompting. <clears throat> you know, watch me for your cue. Follow my leading. And then allow me to work in you to accomplish my perfect will. I mean, we often act as though, uh, you know, God tells us what he wants us to do. And then he sends us off and we're just out there doing it on our own. Uh, and then when we run into difficulty, what do we do? We ask God for help and he's going to come to our aid and, and help us. That's never the biblical picture. Um, throughout scripture, God... When he's about to do something, and it's always God that's taking the initiative. God is about to do something. <clears throat> then he reveals what he's about to do to his people. And, and they respond to him accordingly. And here's the key. When God is about to do something through a person, he's got to help move that person from where he is to where he wants them to be. So if God's going to use you, there's going to need to be some moving in our lives. It's going to have to move us from where we are 
where he wants us to be. So he's going to come and he's going to tell us, this is what I'm doing. And he's going to move us where he can use us in what he's doing. Um, <clears throat> during the next messages, we're going to be hearing what, um, what Henry Blackaby calls the seven realities of experiencing God. And those really kind of form the, 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 the nucleus of this whole teaching on discovering and doing the will of God. Uh, and those are these, and you've got them here on the screen as well as in your notes. The fact is that God is always at work around us. Uh, folks, don't ever have this picture in mind that God just kind of put this world in motion and wound it up like a clock, and then he went off to sleep under a tree somewhere. No, God is always at work. He's always at work around us and in us and through us. He's at work in this world. And then second, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. See, God is all about relationship. And he wants us to be a part of that relationship. And then third, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. It's an invitation to join him. You and I don't get up and say, I'm going to do something for God. God says, hey, I'm up to something. Come join me and, and let me work through you. And then God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit through prayer, through the Bible, through circumstances, uh, and through the church to reveal his purposes uh, and his ways. <coughs> and then God's invitation for you to work with him is always going to lead to a crisis of belief. Are you really going to believe this is God? Um, and, and it's going to require faith. It's going to require action on your part. And then you've got to make some major adjustments in your life if you're going to join God in, in what he's doing. And finally, you come to know God then by experience as you obey him and as he accomplishes his work through you. And we're going to see these things in this, the next six weeks after today. Uh, we're going to see them frequently. We're going to see them in, in depth. Um, and we're going to see them illustrated in the lives of many people in Scripture, uh, that people that were used by God. For instance, uh, look at, think about Moses. Um, Moses is a good pattern of this whole principle, this whole, whole uh, thought uh, that we're talking about here. Because in Exodus chapter 2, we see that God is already at work in the situation, in the plight of the Israelite people. They've gone to Egypt. Uh, they've, they've multiplied. They're a huge group of people now. And they become enslaved. Pharaoh comes along and says, I don't know about this Moses guy that you all talked to. I mean, this, uh, excuse me, uh, Jacob guy and all the 12 tribes and Joseph and all that. And uh, so he enslaves them. And they're in slavery and they're crying out to God. And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of their slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God is getting ready to do something. He's going to be at work in this situation. And so what does he do? He takes the initiative, and he approaches this guy, Moses. And he reveals himself to Moses. I am that I am. And he says, I am fixing to do some work here. And I invite you to join me in what I'm doing. He invited Moses to become involved with him. Um, 
Because he's about to work. Look at at chapter 3 and verse 8 and verse 10. God says, So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. God says, I'm getting ready to work. I'm going to work in this situation. And look at verse 10. Now, Moses, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. See, Moses tried one time to kind of deliver his people. He killed an Egyptian. Whoop-de-doo, you know. And he failed miserably. He ran for his life and hid in the wilderness for 40 years. God says, you didn't do it my way. Let's do it my way. I'm fixing to work. Now I want to use you. Go and, 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 and be my mouthpiece to Pharaoh. See, you see what God has revealed to Moses? He's revealed himself to Moses and explained, this is what I'm going to do. And so the invitation is there. Moses, join me in my work. Well, that's going to lead to a crisis of belief. You remember Moses? He said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I, I stumble over my words. I'm, I'm not your man. Go find somebody else. There was a crisis of belief there. Um, and, uh, you know, verse 11, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? See, he had to make a major adjustment in his life to join God in what God was doing. He had to, and not only that, he had to leave his comfort zone. And he had to go back to Egypt where he was, had been a wanted man. And he had to go back there. I, I'm reminded of a uh, time when God began to work in Saul of Tarsus' life, appeared to him in a bright light. And, you know, Saul, as later became Paul, was blinded. And God showed up to a man by the name of Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go down to the street called Straight, and there's a guy there by the name of Saul. You need to go and lay your hands on him and pray for him. There was a call and invitation because God was at work. But Ananias had a major crisis of belief, remember? He said, wait a minute, Lord, you know about this guy. He's killing Christians, and you want me to go down there? There was a major crisis of belief. And then he had to make this adjustment in his life to say, okay, I'll go, and if I die, I die, but I'm going to go, okay? Well, here is, is Moses. Moses had to go back to Egypt, back to the place where he had run, you know, for his life. Um, and um, there was a crisis there, and he had to make that adjustment. But it's through this experience that Moses comes to know God in a very, very, very intimate way. Um, over in Exodus thirty-three, eleven, these words just, they resonate with me because they created me such a hungry. It says, you know, inside the tent of the meeting, and that was the precursor to the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Face to face. Talk about intimate relationship. Uh, I could never, folks, describe my relationship with God as face to face. I'd love that. But I'm never going to measure up to a Moses. Let me just be honest with you, okay? Um, I'm never going to be a Moses. 
And I venture to say, not many of you are going to be a Moses. But here's, here's the thing. The Moseses of life in God's kingdom, they are few and they're far between. Because what God typically uses is not Moses. He uses ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and like me, okay? Um, The majority of God's work is done by ordinary people. Um, Ordinary Christians. He uses people like you and me to build his kingdom on this earth. Uh, You know, we think of Elijah. Man, this great man of God. Uh, Elijah, I don't know if you remember, he ran off into the wilderness and had a pity party. And said, you know, I'm just going to sit out here and I'm going to just pray to die. Well, I can identify with Elijah. I have pity parties. Listen to what James said about Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. Underline those words. Just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Don't you love that? Elijah was just an ordinary guy, just like us. But when he prayed, things began to happen. Uh, What James said, you and I need to follow Elijah's example here. We may be ordinary, but the God we serve is not ordinary. And when we begin to pray, God does extraordinary things in situations. You're praying for the one Who's your one? We've been praying for that. The person that you want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when you begin to pray, you're just an ordinary guy, an ordinary gal. And you begin to pray. When you start praying for your one with persistence and pleadings and, and <clears throat> brokenheartedness, then what you do is you set God's power to work on the battlefield for the souls of your one. And things began to happen. One of the things I wanted to ask you, you're praying for one person and you're seeking to share your faith with them. When God begins to work in the heart of your one, let me know about it. When, when you're one that you're praying for, trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to know about it because I want to rejoice with you. Because God is going to work. When you start praying and you start allowing God to use you, God is going to do things that will just blow your socks off. Okay? Because he's at work among us. And so when your one begins asking spiritual questions, they start getting spiritually curious. That's just not luck. That's God at work in their life. And he's inviting you to become involved in what he's doing. That's why prayer is so, so important. That's a sign that God is working. And he's going to invite you to be involved in what he's doing in that one life. As, you, as they're drawn to him. You know, the first disciples, they were ordinary men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were... Uh, revolutionaries, you know, we would call them terrorists maybe even today. Um, Look at Peter and John, for instance. God used them uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 4 to touch a a beggar and and a crippled beggar and bring 
uh, healing to him. Listen to the evaluation of the Sanhedrin <coughs> in verse 13. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So they were ordinary men. The difference, though, look at it. They had been with Jesus. You and I may be ordinary. But when we spend time with Jesus, the ordinary becomes extraordinary because of God's power in our life. Um, God can use us to do extraordinary things. You know, history is full of ordinary men and women that God used in spectacular ways for his kingdom work. I, I think, for instance, of Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody um, probably would have been voted if he had stayed in school as the most legal, least likely to, to succeed, okay? He was born in poverty. He was pretty much illiterate. He had maybe four years of schooling. He dropped out of school at age 10, started selling shoes. But God got a hold of his heart and laid a burden on him. And, and he had a burden for the, for the boys in Chicago. And he started the Sunday school movement in Chicago to reach a group of street boys for Jesus Christ. And then God began to talk to him about, you need to become a preacher, and share the gospel everywhere. And, and the story is told that one day D.L. Moody went out with a group of guys his age out to a hayfield to pray, to spend time in prayer and confession and consecration. And while they were there, one of the young men said something that so resonated with D.L. Moody that it absolutely changed his heart. And that that saying was simply this, that the world has yet to see what God could do in and through and for and with a man who is totally consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody says, I want to be that man. And he consecrated his life totally and completely to Jesus Christ. And an illiterate man became maybe one of the greatest evangelists of the modern era, preaching to tens of thousands of people every week in America and in the British Isles. God used him greatly. But he was just an ordinary guy. God wants to use you. Will you let him? Will you let him? See, the truth is that God is, you know, when we say, well, God couldn't do anything extraordinary through me. You know, when you say that, you're saying more about your belief in God than you are about yourself. Because, folks, you're saying that God is not capable of doing anything significant through you. But the truth is that God is able to do whatever he chooses to do through a person who is consecrated and committed to him. And so if you want to be used by God, it just starts with that point of saying, I give up. I surrender. You take it. I'm tired of trying to find the red mailbox. I'm going to let you drive. I'm going to follow you in that. So will you be the one who's fully surrendered to God? Uh, and discover and do the will of God starts with surrender. Let's bow for prayer.
As we pray, let me just remind you, please, don't measure yourself by the world's standards. You and I will come up short every time when we measure ourselves by people around us. Simply remember that our identity is found in Jesus Christ. And God says, I want to use you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Just let go and let me work through you. Father, thank you that you have a perfect will. Teach us how to, how to know where you're working and to join you in that work. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray that each and every one of us would have a heart that is moldable. That we would allow you to mold us, that we'd stay in your hands so that you might use us to do extraordinary things. <laughs> Father, there isn't one of us here that doesn't need to surrender again to you. That our daily consecration of ourselves to you, committing ourselves to you, um, so that you could use us. But I know, Father, that there's maybe some here this morning who uh, be real honest to say, you know what, I one time was really committed to the Lord Jesus Christ or really was trying to live for him. But I've drifted away from that. I've, I've become unfaithful. I'm hit or miss in all the things that I ought to do to be following Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm kind of like that prodigal son. And maybe, Father, this morning they need to return to you. To simply say, I surrender. I surrender to you. Father, there are those here this morning who maybe need to say, you know what? I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. I need to invite Him into my heart. Maybe some would say, you know what? I've accepted Christ, but I've never been obedient. I've never surrendered to the point of following Him in baptism. Today would be a great day, Father, for them to follow you in that. Speak to our hearts during this time. In your name we pray. Amen.